Welcome to Career Chat, where we discuss career stories to help find a path for you. I'm your host, Andrea LeBaron, and it's my goal to help you find meaningful work. Carissa Guthrie studied criminal justice in college, but she currently works with the homeless population at the Road Home in Salt Lake City. At this time of year, she is busy overseeing Candy Cane Corner, a pop-up store for vulnerable populations in the area. In this episode, Carissa shares some misconceptions about homelessness, a kind, helpful response we can use when talking with homeless people, and ways you can help this population during the holidays and throughout the year. I hope you'll join me to learn more. Welcome, Carissa. It is so nice to have you on my podcast today. And I'm really grateful that you would take the time out of your schedule during this really busy season. So I, I appreciate it. Could you sure. introduce yourself um, to us and tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, your family and your current job title? Yeah, of course. So my name is Carissa Guthrie. I work for The Road Home and my current title there is the Community Relations Coordinator, but I've been working for The Road Home for the last four years in a couple of different capacities as well. Oh, that's great. And before we jump into your career, I was hoping that you could describe what The Road Home is. Um, many of us that live here locally in the Salt Lake area have probably some idea of the road home. I have to say, I don't know a lot about it. And so I'm curious to hear from you. And then for people that don't live here, they probably have no idea what the road home is. So if you could give us a little um, information about that, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm happy to. So the Road Home is a private nonprofit social services agency that's based out of um, the Salt Lake Valley. So we um, assist individuals and families that are experiencing homelessness in the Salt Lake County and Wasatch Front. Um, we have resource centers and we have um, housing units on, on scattered sites as well. So um, we serve families out of the city of Midville and we serve single men out of South Salt Lake and we work, um, have a couples shelter or single men and women shelter that is in Salt Lake City as well. Okay, so um, this is part of what I was curious about because in the news there's been a lot of, of talk about, I, I guess the old road home was closed, right? It was kind of like one central area and yeah. then these various shelters have been open. How long have those been in use? So for a really long, the road home's been long, around for a really long time. And for a while, we were based out of the Rio Grande area. And if anyone's familiar with Salt Lake, that's downtown area over by the Gateway Mall. Um, we call it 210. And that was our address. Um, we were based out of there. And that's where we served all the single um, populations. And for a very long time, the families until out in Midville, we were we had a seasonal shelter, and then fairly recently, when I became on board with the road home, we um, the family shelter became a permanent year-round open facility. Um, in the last about three years or so, or two and a half, we have had the men's resource center and the single men and women shelter, and the uh, Geraldine King Center, which serves single women, open in the Salt Lake City area, and those um, serve the single individuals. Where the Midville Family Shelter has been open in Midville seasonally and permanently for quite some time now. Okay. I, I happened to read an article yesterday. I was doing a little bit of research and um, it was one that was written in the Desert News about six months ago. And it featured um, a man in his 40s experiencing homelessness. And he said 
one of the reasons he didn't want to go to the road home was that married couples couldn't stay together. But it sounds like that's not true. Is there a shelter where married couples or families can be together? So for families, they have to have a child under the age of 18 to stay in the Midville Family Resource Center. Couples can go to the Miller Resource Center together, but they are staying on separate floors. So they're not staying in the same room together. And that's okay. That's for safety reasons and whatnot, but they can go to the facility together and be around each other during the day. Just unfortunately at night or we just have them on separate floors. Okay. That makes sense. And that clears that up. I, cause I'd heard some other things about that. We're going to come back to, um, I want to ask you like, what are some misconceptions about, um, homelessness? But before we do that, I want to find out, um, how you got into this career. Like, was this something, did you did you want to work with people in a vulnerable population or, you know, what led you to this path? Yeah. From when I was in high school, um, I went to a specialized high school in Las Vegas where we worked within um, specialties of law enforcement and EMS services. And so I've always had this idea of being a public servant and working with individuals in that way. And when I got out of high school and going to college, I really wanted to work with survivors of sexual assault and victims um, specifically. And um, I, when I moved up to Salt Lake with my now husband, I was working for, for a domestic violence agency providing resources out in the community. And I just fell in love with the road home and I loved everything that they did and who they represented and how they worked with people experiencing homelessness. And the beauty of it is homelessness touches everyone and, and it doesn't shy away from any sort of person or any sort of community. And so you really, when you work in this social work setting, especially with homelessness, there's such a wide variety of people that you're working with that you get a little bit of a taste of everything. And I know that kind of sounds bad, but I got to work with people that are really just down on their luck or were survivors of domestic violence or had to relocate here to it from a different country or, or seeking safety. Um, people that have mental health issues or substance use conditions. And so it was just a wide variety and that just really appealed me to it. And I, that's why I continue to stay around because I've always wanted to be a public servant. And I just, I love the idea of working with people that really thrive with that kind of service. So tell us what you studied in school like, and, and did it prepare you for what you're doing now? Yeah, so I went to Southern Utah University and I my degrees and a bachelor's in, of science in criminal justice with a minor in anthropology. And I definitely think it prepared me for a lot of different things. I wouldn't say homelessness specifically, but it definitely prepared me to like see like a world in a different way, especially anthropology. I got such a great understanding of different cultures and how um, people see the world differently and how we all are on these different paths, but we're all living kind of in the same unique universe. And it was, it was a really great experience. Criminal justice, I definitely, um, I, I loved every moment of it and I wouldn't change it for the world. And I think there was a lot of great assets I learned from school, but I definitely think if I would have to go back, I would get my degree in social work for sure. Mm. So you feel like you are um, doing a lot of work that a, a social work background would have prepared you for? Oh, definitely. Yeah. A lot. And I would say emphasis and mental health and substance use disorders, I think would have been like perfect just to have a little bit of head of the ball game, but I did by jumping in and, and doing work within these individuals, I learned on the spot and I learned how to recognize things and I learned from experiences, which is a unique situation in itself too. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. Cause I think I learned a lot just on my feet myself. 
Right. And so that's possible, even if you don't have a degree in social work, to be able to have something in a similar field or related field, join the team, and then learn on the job. Oh, definitely. I, I would say there's not, education can only prepare you so much on the spot job learning and shadowing and really just like volunteering and kind of seeing how these places work and these populations are is going to give you a lot more valuable experiences than college will ever or education will ever give you right there's only so much you can prepare for without actually having to just jump in and do the work right (laughs) yeah exactly they definitely well, I contacted you um, just out of the blue. We didn't know each other, but because I recently learned about something called the Candy Cane Corner and with the holidays um, right upon us, I wanted to know if you could tell us more about what the Candy Cane Corner is because you are directly involved with that. And then it also fits into this broader picture of working with vulnerable populations. Yeah. So Candy Cane Corner is our annual I guess drive fundraiser is the best way to put it, where we partner with Volunteers of America, Utah, and we ask our wonderful community to come together and donate new items such as toys, household items, hobby items, crafts, um, clothing, shoes, all these wonderful things that people typically get for Christmas. And we run a pop-up store and we um, have these families shop for items for themselves for whatever holiday they are celebrating around this time of year, whether that's Christmas, Hanukkah, all that good stuff. And now they have something to bring back to their families and they can celebrate the holiday in a way that is pretty normal in our society. And unfortunately, sometimes when you're experiencing homelessness, a lot of resources are not available to you. And this is just one of those many resources that our community has been fantastic about making sure that these, that our folks get to celebrate and still bring home. I really appreciate that. And you were so gracious to let me come in and um, meet you and see the setup this year, just a, a few days ago. Um, you guys were busy setting up the Candy King Corner. And I was so impressed with the organization, um, all of the, um, the toys, the volunteers, there was just so much going on. And um, so many people, it seems like, who are willing to help. You mentioned that in the past, families have actually been able to come and kind of do their own shopping at the pop-up store. But with COVID, you're running it a little bit differently. Can you explain that? Yeah, so in a non-COVID year, is the way we've been saying it, is our pop-up store opens and families actually come throughout the whole month of December. And we have them work with their case manager and they get to pick out items for each individual and their family. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we want to make sure, one, that our vulnerable populations are staying safe. They're at a higher risk of catching this horrible virus and getting really, really sick. We want to make sure we're doing our part in keeping them safe and keeping our volunteers safe as well. And so we are unfortunately not having them come into the store. And our wonderful staff have taken the time to fill out vouchers with each of these families and gotten to know them a little bit more, what their preferences are, what kind of colors they like, what kind of toys are their kids like really wanting this year. And our wonderful volunteers are going to go around and take that voucher and pick out items for each family member. And then our case management teams are going to take them back to the families and there's going to be wrapping paper and um, tape included so they get to wrap those gifts for their families. And it's all highly confidential too, which is a kind of nice piece too. Absolutely. The thing I love the most about what you told me about that yesterday and then today or the other day was 
the fact that the families get to wrap the presents. I love that because I feel like if you're in that situation, you feel so vulnerable and helpless and probably like you don't have a lot of control over your situation and allowing the parent to be the one to, you know, wrap the present for the child. So it's not all just given. It's like they get a little bit of control in that situation. I think it's really amazing. Yeah, we definitely have called it a very empowering process for them. And it, it gives them it, like that just empowerment's the best way I can put it. And in the years past when I've been there, I I, I see the light in their eyes being able to go in and identify a very specific item that they know that their partner is wanting and needs like a brand new pair of boots and they just happen to find the right size and the right kind that their partner has been desperately wanting or the really cool Blue's Clues toy that their two-year-old daughter is obsessed with watching Blue's Clues and they're like, you know, this is going to be great. And it's, it's something so small, but it's such a big piece to them. And it's something that just gives them a little bit of glimmer of happiness and hope in such a rough time in their lives. Totally feeling a little bit more normal, maybe Yep. Uh, during the holidays. If people are hearing about Candy Cake Quarter for the first time, like how can they get involved? It's, is it too late or is, are there things that people can still do? Yeah, so definitely. We would love for any help and participation. You can access our website at candycanecornerslc.com. There are um, options to volunteer or just get in more information about how to donate. We are operating out of the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Rehearsal Space, which is on 336 North 400 West in Salt Lake City. Um, up until December 8th, we are happily accepting donations, so please bring them on by. We would love to have them. We are asking for all donations to be brand new, though, so if you can, please make that possible. Um, or if you unfortunately are unable to come bring them down to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera Space, please um, access our website, and there's ways to don donate monetarily, so we can also, if we're running out of items and we need to monetarily purchase, like, diapers or wipes, or we're seeing, like, we're running low on a certain kind of item, we can go out and repurpose that and make sure everyone has access to those items. And you also mentioned to me that um, you're, there, there are spots on your website where people can sign up to volunteer and help sort through everything and put them in categories so that when the caseworkers come through, they can shop more easily for their families. Is that right? Yeah. So actually volunteers will be, will be shopping too. So they oh, can okay. sign up for opportunities to like, it's not exactly specific on what's going to happen on each day because sometimes we get surprised and we get a bunch of donations dropped off and we need all hands on deck to help sort through all those donations. Some days we are shopping for our families and there'll be opportunities to do that as well. So if you are interested in volunteering, I urge you to check out the website as soon as possible because spots are such a hot commodity and people love to come do it. So if you really want to, I would check it out. And I'm so sorry if spots are filled when you're by the time you're listening, but please, um, if you're interested in volunteering, check out the roadhome.org or Volunteers of America Utah website and seek some volunteering opportunities that way too. Okay, great. So um, the only thing you mentioned as a restriction is that you need to be 16 or older as a volunteer, yeah. right? That's okay. correct. Yeah. And maybe if it doesn't work out to volunteer this year, you could file that away for next mm -hmm. year. And then you also said there are opportunities throughout the year. This is just one of many sort of events that the Road Home hosts. Yeah, definitely. So we have many events that happen throughout the year, but there's always volunteering opportunities available in our resource centers. If you access our website, 
there, um, there's some more information on how to get connected with our volunteer coordinators at one of our facilities, and they would be happy to talk to you about some opportunities we have for volunteering and what the process looks like. I definitely um, think that we've touched on this, but I want to ask more now about um, the homelessness issue that we have across the Wasatch Front. Um, I mean, I think we have a pretty substantial homeless population in Salt Lake City, and even with the new shelters that we've talked about, um, certainly our skyrocketing housing market is not helping any of these folks that are struggling right now. Um, and I do think probably most major cities have people experiencing homelessness. So I'm wondering, in your experience, um, what are some misconceptions I wanted to ask you um, are, uh, are there about people who are experiencing homelessness? Things that you've learned firsthand. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest things that I've seen about working with this, such a vulnerable population is most of them are just really down on their luck and just can't, no longer can afford the, like you said, the raising rates of housing and just how expensive it is get, getting to live in the, these areas and are just really down on their luck and are needing some extra help. And we, um, or that they unfortunately just come into like hard times. Um, a lot of them count on family and friends to support them. And when that resource gets cut off, it makes it really hard for them to continue to thrive and to continue to make a livable wage. And um, I would say like the biggest like misconstrued idea of homelessness is that it it's not in your community. And truthfully, it's in every community, whether you see them standing on the side of the road or you don't see them at all, it, it's happening in your community. There's people that are doubling up in homes and that's still considered homelessness. If you don't have a place of your own, you're still considered homeless at that point. And so I would like urge everyone to just really take a look at their community and think about what resources are available for people that could be in this kind of situation and really think is what my community have is really gonna help make folks thrive and not experience homelessness no longer. I would love to see homelessness eradicated. I really would. And I think that we could do it. I just think it's going to take a large community effort across the nation and across the globe for it to end. Well, you know, so in Salt Lake and in Utah, we're entering, you know, a, the cold winter. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us um, have probably already encountered people that are homeless or will, especially with the holidays. Um, what, what, in your opinion, is a kind, responsible, helpful, um, you know, response that we could have when we do interact with homeless people? I mean, is it appropriate to try to give them something? Would it be better for us to make a donation to the road home or a, another, you know, mm -hmm. um, group of people or like what, in your opinion, is a good response? Yeah, I, I definitely say it's, it's situational um, because not every single person is going to be the same, respond in, this, in the same way, right? But the way that I've gone about it in the past is I lived in an area along the Jordan River where we would see a lot of people experiencing homelessness in our community and going through the dumpster. And the best way that I went about it is just like, hey, how are you doing? Are you needing some help? Let me point you in the direction of some resources. Um you, I would say it's definitely up to the person how they feel comfortable approaching that. Um, a lot of folks are just trying to get warm too. So if they're just trying to like 
huddle around the building and get out of the cold. I say they're not damaging the property or anything like that. I mean, it's up to you, totally up to you. But I personally would just be like, hey, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can get you? Do you need some water? Great, you're doing okay. Do you know where you can get some help? Awesome. If not, let's give them those resources and point them in the right direction because there, there are facilities available that can help these folks get out of the cold and make sure that they are going to survive through the night. Okay. That's a great um, example of, of something simple. And that's not even handing them anything. That's just talking with them. I think a lot of times, I know for me, we sometimes feel afraid to talk to mm -hmm. people. We're not sure, are they on drugs? Are they going to be nice? It, are they going to ask me for something? But um, I think all of those things kind of play into the misconceptions and just really actually having a conversation with someone might be the thing that they need. Definitely. I think it's humanizing them all over again. I think too often in the community, when people see those that are experiencing homelessness, they dehumanize them a lot and they, and they're not, they're still human and they deserve housing. Housing is an essential right. And it's something that everyone needs. And so if you don't feel comfortable approaching them, I urge you to really do some research and figure out what you can do to help homelessness in your community, whether that's donating to the road home or to another organization, because that's where the efforts can really grow. We have, we have people that are passionate about helping these folks and really want to make sure that they're off the streets and they're in their home and that they're safe. Um, and I just, I urge you just to be very much aware about your situations because, you know, we don't, uh, we don't know them and we, they don't know us and it can be kind of scary. So just be cautious about your area, your situation, but I would definitely urge you to be like, do you need help? How can I help you? What, what would be the best way to do it while keeping them safe and keeping yourself safe at the same time? Mm, good point. Does the road home take people just immediately off the street? Like if you were to say to somebody, Hey, do you know about the road home? It's a mm. shelter that you could go to tonight. Like, is that an option for someone experiencing homelessness? Yeah, I would urge them to definitely reach out, reach out and see if there's a bed available. And if there's not, there's um, people on the phone that are happy to talk through what other options we have, whether that's the warming space or an overflow shelter, or if we need to connect them to another facility, um, working that out. Um, bed spaces do get limited, unfortunately, um, but we are happy to talk through what other options are available. And again, making sure people are getting out of the cold and they're staying warm for the night. Okay, great advice. So now a little bit back to you and your career. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you feel like you faced in this position? Oh boy. <laughs> well, for a long time, I worked out of the family shelter and I would say seeing those beautiful children just you know, they have no control over the situation and just really helping them understand and work through what's going on. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes they get bullied in school, even though there is the utmost privacy for them and in their situation, it happens. And hearing, hearing their sweet little faces, seeing their sweet little faces and hearing their voices come home and saying, you know, Timmy bullied me because I'm staying in the shelter and just really helping them understand and work through those things has been one of the hardest I've ever had to do, but also working with guests and helping them find a home and a landlord that's not willing to judge them based off of where they're living currently. That's been another struggle, really mm. big struggle is 
it's like they see the address of the shelter, they hear that they're experiencing homelessness, and it's like an immediate like, nope, we're good. No, thank you. And it's it's really heartbreaking because these folks are putting, it's like a full-time job to look for housing. And they're putting all this effort into it and just to get constantly turned down and turned down and to be like, you know what, it's going to happen. I promise it's going to happen. We're not going to give up. I don't want you to give up. We're here for you. Let's figure this out. And just day in and day out, just helping people like that. It gets exhausting for me and for them. I can imagine. And it just kind of shows me that it can be a cycle that it's hard to get out of if you're not given a break to break out of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, what skills do you think are the most important for you in this position? Having a lot of um, empathy um, and trauma-informed care. That's a, mm. it's a new, excuse me, it's a new practice coming out, but Trauma-informed care is such an essential piece when you're working with such a vulnerable population to understand why their responses are a certain way and not necessarily an excuse of why they're reacting in a certain way, but just a better understanding of their brains and how things are operating. Because when you're in a traumatic situation, you're working off your lizard brain. You're thinking about how can I survive? How am I going to make it through the night? So their logical brain isn't working. They're not thinking in logical order. So really just having a good foundation of those skill sets um, and a lot of patience, a lot of patience, because whether that's outside community resources that you're working through, a landlord, your guest, your, um, your coworkers, this work isn't easy and you have to be patient with yourself and all of these other resources. Otherwise you're going to get burnt out so quickly. It sounds like it's a real combination of both hard, you know, the trauma-informed care could maybe be considered a hard skill that you would learn Mm -hmm. about, and then empathy and patience, those might be more of those soft skills that you could bring to the job, although you can probably learn that as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. Trauma-informed care is becoming more, more and more known as a practice. So I would say if you're definitely interested, do some research on your own and just kind of see what free courses or some knowledge that you can gain on your own. And if you're interested in getting into this work, um, definitely have that knowledge ahead of time for your interview. Cause I think that's going to make you like just a really interesting candidate that you already have this experience. Granted within the road home, we do teach that skill and what trauma-informed care looks like. And we have some courses and research that we offer for our Uh, for our teams. So don't be afraid if you don't know what it is to like, you can't, like, you're not going to get it. We're we're happy to teach it and help, help learn along. You know what though? I think that's a really great tip though, for people who are interested in this kind of work to go into a job or an interview, like you said, already knowing a little bit about trauma-informed care um, could really give someone a leg up. Yeah, definitely. And I would honestly, I would say it doesn't hurt for anyone to really take the time and look into this because let's say you're wanting to work or approach someone that you see on the streets, having that trauma informed lens is going to help you a thousand more percent than just walking up and not knowing anything. I think it's going to prepare you. It's going to prepare you a lot more in the world, honestly, because everyone experiences some sort of trauma in some sort of way and just having a better understanding about how to be more helpful in a trauma-informed lens is going to go a lot longer in life than just working in this field. Thank you. I think that's such great advice. Um, Is there anything that would surprise people about the kind of work you do, like something that they wouldn't normally think of? Um, It's not the same every day. 
you're working with people and it's going to consistently change. You think you're going to walk in and be like, oh, today is going to be an easy day. You could be, you could be never more wrong. So just be prepared for the unpredictable, I would say. Mm, Great, great comment. Um, Is there anything that, well, what gives you the most satisfaction in your job right now? Well, my job right now, it's knowing that I'm making a difference every day, whether that's going into the office and just striving for the work or having conversations like this daily with people about what homelessness looks like. But if you don't mind, I would love to share a brief story about just something that made me like really value the work I do. I, I, was, that. I was working with a family for over a year and constantly taking them to go look at units and talking to landlords and they got turned down time and time again, but we persisted and they got approved with a landlord and I was helping them move in and their little girl looked at me and as they were unlocking the doors and I was helping them move in their items, she goes, Miss Carissa, we're home. She goes, you want to see my room? And she walked me over and, and it makes me cry every time because I just remember seeing such happiness in this little girl's face, knowing that she was home and she was going to be safe. And that although this path has been very long, this was the groundwork that was going to start start them going and get them going on the right path. And that I hope that they never experience homelessness again and that they're successful the rest of their lives. That is such an amazing story. I think that that is the goal, right? Everything that you do is probably geared toward helping people find that home, find their home. We are all about helping people move home. That's who, what we do. That's what we want. And we want homelessness to be eradicated and we want it gone for forever. Carissa, thank you so much for this interview. It's just been a delight to talk to you and I wish you the best with the candy cane corner and we'll definitely put a link in our show notes and thank you for joining me today. No problem. Happy to do it. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time.